1: Hello everybody, Carl Starr here of the Fightful Boxing Podcast, that's right, I'm not dead, this podcast is still alive, welcome, welcome to the first Fightful Boxing Podcast in God knows how many weeks, maybe in what, five, six, seven weeks or something like that, apologies. For anyone that may have missed me, and I'm sure there, there's a few of you that that missed this podcast. I know who you are, not really, but I'm sure there's a few that missed this podcast. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, for those of you who, before we really get into the nitty gritty of things, there's a lot, a lot has changed in the last few weeks since uh, since the last time there was a Fightful Boxing podcast. For those of you who don't follow me on Twitter at Zero Three Sixty, 360 shameless plug right there. I moved away from Puerto Rico and finally moved into the United States full-time, living here in Cleveland, at least just outside of Cleveland, so I will now, so now I've embraced my Cleveland Browns, they actually got a good team this year, so I'm actually looking forward to watching Browns games. Much more than New York Jets games with uh, the team that I was previously a fan of, but nope. Now I'm all in on the Browns. I'm all in on Baker Mayfield. I'm all in on Odell Beckham Jr. I'm all in on the Browns. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's been a really crazy last couple of weeks. It's um, so that's why you really haven't seen the Fightful Boxing podcast being posted lately, and boy, you know, it's not lack for trying, but, you know, moving costs, everything, you know, it's been a real, real mess. Just starting, so now we're just kind of made my home base here in Cleveland, and so apologies, first of all, for, you know, if the audio sounds a little weird, we're still kind of moving stuff in, and, you know, things have been a little hectic as of late, you know, in my new household, and in the boxing world, so let's get down to it. So, obviously, the the biggest story right now in boxing has to be Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz. The rematch that everyone was looking forward to, maybe in Cardiff, maybe in New York City, maybe somewhere in a time zone that we were, were all fairly comfortable with. Nope. Turns out, None of those places are gonna get the rematch. It's Saudi Arabia. Who would have dunked it? Saudi Arabia was announced as the the host for Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua 2 for the WBA IBF and WBO heavyweight titles. There is that there's a lot already to take in from that that piece of news. I mean, look. There's a lot I I can say about the location. There's a lot you can say about Saudi Arabia and all the thing, all the messed up things that they have done for decades and decades and are still doing it to this day. Listen, I know a lot of people are, you know, let's be honest, this, this rematch is, you know, it's gonna happen, and it's gonna happen, in Saudi Arabia. Look, I mean, Andy Ruiz can you know do everything he can to try to squeeze in a few, a little more dollars by saying, "Oh, we still, we, we haven't signed anything. We're still, you know, we're we're still talking." But the rematch is gonna happen. You know, this is all just one giant. to sort of squeeze in a few more dollars for the rematch, and I can't really blame Andy Ruiz at all, I mean, let's be honest, you know, with all the money that was being thrown around, that's being reported, you know, as much as $100 million this whole event could generate, which is, you know, far more than what it would have gotten if it went to Madison Square Garden or if it went to Cardiff, far more than, you know, almost any fight today could generate, uh, you know, aside from a, from a Floyd versus Conor McGregor or something like that, something crazy like that, so, and it's being reported, I believe by The Athletic, that Andrew Ru- Ruiz is getting a guaranteed $9 million purse based on the contract that he signed for the first fight, and listen, you know, $9 million is all, is fantastic, and listen, if Andrew Ruiz wants to get more money, Hey, man, I say let him. I mean, look, I said this from the very beginning, from the, from when Andy Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua the first time. I thought, no matter what happens, I thought Andy Ruiz deserved to get eight figures for his purse into for the rematch. I mean, there's no way that you can't possibly argue that he doesn't deserve that much. Now, granted, you know... What you deserve and what you signed up for is are two completely different things, and and I'm not saying that there's you know he need, he has to get nine million uh, more, ten million dollars or more or else there's no fight. But really, when you pull off one of the biggest upsets in history, and now you know, and, and the main promoter for this fight is taking the rematch all the way to Saudi Arabia for uh, for potentially as much as nine figures. You can't help but feel like you may deserve a, a bigger piece of the pie if, you know, if you're Andy Ruiz. I can't really blame him. $9 million is, believe believe, far more than, you know, I believe than what he got for the first fight, which I believe is $4 million. Which is still a lot. It's still a buttload of money. It's still more than... of boxers will make in a single fight throughout the career. In fact, actually, not even 99%. Probably close to, like, 99.8%. Like, you're talking, like, world champions don't even get that much money. Most of the world champions don't get $4 million for a fight, no matter what, no matter where, no matter against whom. They don't get that much. So I can't really blame him uh, for getting that much money. Now, I'm going to throw in my two cents about the location itself now if you if you're listening to this obviously you're probably more than aware of saudi arabia trying to do a a bunch of different things sports related in the last couple of years staging all these major events wwe probably the most significant of these events, not counting the Andrew ruiz Anthony Joshua rematch, I mean they've been doing they've been doing shows over there for a few years now, but they didn't start doing these major WrestleMania level type of shows until last year when you know they signed when WWE signed this like massive, massive contract to you know host shows there for like the next five years or so, and it's been a crazy and it's you know. And the timing of it all, it's just really, really bad. Now, here's my whole thing with the Saudi Arabia and Eddie Hearn defending this fight. When the fight was announced, and where it was going to be announced in Saudi Arabia, backlash was severe on Eddie Hearn and Matt Boxing for taking, them, for, for taking this fight. And probably what made it even worse was what he said about the fight taking place in Saudi Arabia and his defense of it. And he was saying, and he told the Guardian, I knew that when we made the decision, not every response would be positive and that there would be criticism and controversy. I'm a boxing promoter, and sometimes the criticism and the curiosity will lead to an event of an extraordinary magnitude. If Saudi Arabia is going to invest in these fights with the population they have, with the potential... To grow the sport of boxing, you could be seeing a big change in the dynamics of the sports, which truly excite me. And probably and that's all fine well, but quote that's really weird is you know the way he was just saying about by this is this is the quote that I that really got my head scratching. We wanted to go somewhere that believed in the sport of boxing, which had a vision. We already knew Saudi Arabia was real and knew they were investing in the sport of boxing. That was very important for us. So you're telling me that Saudi Arabia's vision for boxing, that's what you that's what drew you into the fight? Really? Yeah, the the vision what they believed in boxing? That's what drew you into Saudi Arabia? You know, there's a thing about trying to justify your actions. You know, and obviously in a way, you may you know it almost feels like Eddie Hearn's trying to convince himself that what he's doing is is gonna be alright. The end's justify the means. But here's my main problem with this. Eddie Hearn says this We want to go somewhere that believed in the sport of boxing, and you chose Saudi Arabia. You can't say that and expect any of us to believe that baloney. Because the answer is no, you didn't go there because Saudi Arabia chose to, you know, has this grand vision of what the sport of boxing could be or how to stage a mega fight. Because, last I check, the biggest boxing fight Saudi Arabia has held, let's see, Calum Smith, George Groves, and Amir Khan versus Billy Dibb. Really? That's, that's, you know, that's what you call a country that believes in the sport of boxing? And listen, and, there's so many things wrong with that statement, and the reason, and listen, there's nothing wrong with Choosing Saudi Arabia because of the money. And let's be honest, that's the main reason why he chose Saudi Arabia. Because the amount of money the Saudis are giving Hearn and Matchroom boxing and the zone and all the parties involved is stupid amounts of high. It, the amount of money is ridiculous. So you can't really tell me, well, we have this vision. Well, we want to go to Saudi Arabia because they believe in the sport of boxing. They're saying that they also believe in WWE. They believe that WWE is the way to go. Yeah, that's it? No. You can't say all that stuff and expect any of us uh, who give it more than two seconds of thought to believe you. That's why you chose. Listen, there's nothing wrong with choosing Saudi Arabia because of the money what what really is messed up is you choosing Saudi Arabia and then give us this baloney of a of a statement. I get it, that's promoters, but you can't really say in front of the public, we well, wanted to go, uh, you know, listen, they gave me, the, this event could do $100 million in Saudi Arabia. I'd be, I'd be stupid to not take that money. But here's the thing. There's been this issue, and I don't even know if Eddie Hearn is really all that aware, is there is this problem in Saudi Arabia, and I'm gonna, and I'm uh, that's kind of that. And there's an article, I believe it was CNN that, uh, not sure, no, na- well, on CNN was posted, but this was Felix Jenkins, the Amnesty International UK's head of campaigns. And he was saying it's likely to be yet another opportunity for the Saudi authorities to try and sportswash the severely tarnished image. And I think that is a great, you know, that that's a great quote for what the Saudis are trying to do. They don't really believe in boxing. This is not gonna, you know, catapult the country into this, into this, you know, maiden voyage into the sweet science or anything like that. No, they're not gonna do that. That's not why they're doing it. That's not what they they're spending hundred million dollars. You really think the, the Saudi prince is like, you know what? We want this country to be a boxing country, and we want to give the people what they want. They want to see the rematch. Our people want to see that. First of all, I don't even know if Saudi Arabia had a, had any way of watching the first fight. Last I checked, Sky Sports is not in Saudi Arabia. Neither is the Zone. So you can't really say. You know, this is, you know, a country that was clamoring to host this rematch. They were not. And and listen, Saudi Arabia has this horrible history of homophobia, misogyny, human rights violations. Hell, it's only been a year since the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Actually, no, it's not, not even been a year. It's only been, what, 10 months since he was killed in Saudi, uh, by, by Saudis? Look, there's nothing, there's nothing about this that you can say, you can really say from a moral standpoint makes any sense. This doesn't, it doesn't. This is a horrible, you know, when you're when you're holding an event like this, let's be honest, you're doing this for the money and fine. Don't stand there and say and believe that there is a grand plan for Saudi Arabia in boxing. There isn't, and the reason why I think I I, I have these thoughts, it's look at the way, look at the way WWE did that first Saudi Arabia show. On the WWE network, even if you're not a wrestling fan, but if you're generally curious about Saudi Arabia and the way they're using sports to sort of "quote unquote" sports wash their horrible past, just look at that for look at that deal. Look at how they um, look at how they did the Saudi show. It was disgusting. It was a clear. It was a four-five hour propaganda marathon you has got to listen to the commentary. I mean, look at look at how great Saudi Arabia is. Look at everything that they've done so well. Look at all these pretty buildings. Misogyny, what are you talking about? Look at our prince. Look how great he is. He's so progressive. Homophobia? No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with this place. Everything's so fine. Look, women can drive because apparently this is the 1930s. No, no! Don't say. Don't think that. The, listen, don't think that this rematch being uh, taking place in Saudi Arabia is done with the intentions of building a sport there, because there isn't. It's not why. It's not why Saudi Arabia wanted to lure Amir Khan to a fight earlier this year. It's not why they chose to get the world boxing super series super middleweight finals last year into Saudi Arabia. It's not why they w- were getting, you know, major soccer matches, a Formula, a Formula 1 race, uh, you know, all these different major events involving sports that Saudi Arabia is not really known for. So really let's let's look at this. Eddie Hearn You did this for the money. And as a promoter, there's nothing wrong about that. But you can't really say, also put out the controversy, you know, equals cash and attention. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem that I don't think The Zone and Eddie Hearn really understood, has understood so far. It's that The Zone is severely lacking in the marketing department and the exposure because they are an online streaming service. And you look at those, the subscription numbers from back in May when they were talking about the the Canelo Alvarez-Danny Jacobs fight that around 600,000 people in the U.S. watched it. Now, 600,000 people, that's, that's a decent number in the U.S. for a streaming service that was launched less than a year ago with boxing as niche as it is in the United States as its main driving point. 600,000 in the last a year, that's that's actually not bad. That's actually pretty good. However, when you put in the when you add in the context of the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that the zone is spending yearly, 600,000 subscribers is not going to cut it. It just isn't. And the zone had this had They had the perfect opportunity to use the second half of 2019 and really rev up the subscription base. They had Canelo Triple G3. Wasn't able to do it. They had Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz. Perfect for prime time. Perfect for the end of the year. Because yate Wilder and Tyson Fury are not going to fight until 2020 at the earliest. You had everything there. But now you're going to a place where... Over here in the U.S., the, the fight time is going to be like early afternoon. You can't expect for an early afternoon start and get massive subscriptions. Especially... At the heart of college football season, when you, we you are in the right, December seventh is in the middle of conference championships. You can't really expect to say that you're going to get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of subscribers because you're putting in Saudi Arabia, and now you have the curiosity factor into everything going on. That's not that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's been proven time and time again when you stage fights in the UK, viewership in the US is not as high if uh, versus holding fights prime time in the United States. It's been proven millions of times. It's uh, I'm pretty sure it's like 100 out of 100. You know, aside from like a Joshua Klitschko which did really really good numbers, And even then, it wasn't like, you know, broke network highs for that year, for 2017, for Showtime and HBO. But you can't, you know, you're dealing with, you know, a a country that will not let, that will not have barely any U.S. media presence. It won't. You're barely going to have any U.S. media presence. So you're already losing out on potential marketing potential free marketing from the media alone because they're not going to cover the fight in Saudi Arabia they're not going to travel they're not going to make the trip if it was in New York you would have everyone trying to get a piece of the coverage but now you have in Saudi Arabia that coverage is limited it's limited and now you're putting this by what 3 4 5 p.m in the U.S. Versus 9, 10, 11 if it was held in New York. Which I think that should have been where the rematch should have taken place. I believe it should have been at Madison Square Garden. There's no reason why you couldn't have held it there. You had everything. Literally, it was the rematch and the setting and the timing was, you know, was handed to them on a silver platter. And they poo-poo it because they gotta follow the money. They gotta get those $100 million from the Saudis. Again, hey, that's fine by me. If you wanna do if you wanna do it for the money, go ahead, fine. Part of your job as a promoter is to make sure you get the biggest events that can generate the biggest revenue. You wanna do that? That's fine. Just don't pretend that you're doing this for any other reason that isn't the money. Because when you look at the history of Saudi Arabia with sports and the way they use sports to drive this big propaganda. Plan in terms of getting, in terms of making Saudi Arabia look more progressive to the Western world than what it actually is. No, you can, that's that's not gonna fly by a lot of people. Everyone, a lot of people in sports already know how bad, already know what the deal is with Saudi Arabia, and Eddie Hearn that she just had to follow the money fine you want to follow the money that's fine by me but don't go out and tell me that you're doing this for any other reason that isn't the money so now moving on to what i consider to be a very very sad story going on with the world boxing super series so in case you haven't heard once again, the World Boxing Super Series is having a lot of major issues regarding one of their top fighters wanting to get out of the tournament. Big surprise. So for those of you who don't know, this time, the latest guy that wanted to be out of the tournament is one Regis Progress with the WBA Junior Welterweight Champion or the Super Lightweight Champion, as you know, some people want to call it. So the problem with this was, you know, w- between Regis Progress and Promoter Lude Debella. The whole reason for this is based on what Debella Entertainment posted said it was, you know, they they filed they, they even filed a lawsuit against Komusa AG, the owner of the World Boxing Super Series. And basically, just to boil it down, the problem, it was, you know, late payments, scheduling delays, uh, what they call bad faith representations, missed deadlines, and broken promises, which, and if you've been following the World Boxing Super Series this season, this is not new. It's almost the exact same thing happened with Ivan Bronchik. He wanted to be out of the tournament. It, right before the semifinals happened, and it took a while, but they somehow managed to get Ivan Brockic back in, and Ivan Brockic would end up losing his IBF title to Josh Taylor, and now Taylor is facing Brzets Progress in the finals. But here's the issue: more than anything, I think people are not looking at this issue from a from a long term perspective. Obviously, this is this puts the entire world boxing super series junior uh, junior welterweight finals in jeopardy, which is a damn shame because that is a major fight. Richard Broker versus Josh Taylor—that's about as good a fight this year as you can ask for at 100, especially at 140 pounds, where the division is absolutely loaded. But here's the issue. It's not with it's not just with the lawsuit itself and the issues that this season has had. It, you know, and I'm glad that the World Boxing Super Series and Progress' team are finding a way to keep the finals intact and find a way to make that fight happen. Because if it doesn't, if that fight doesn't happen, that is a damn 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 shame. But the problem here with the World Boxing Super Series is that this is now we're now in season two. And already, the story of this season was the general lack of organization within Komasa AG and all the people investing into the tournament. The lack of communication between the tournament organizer, organizers and the fighters. The horrible planning and scheduling of these fi- of these tournament dates. Because how could you possibly have... Nonito Donaire and Naoya Inoue fight in April, May, and now you're expecting them to have to wait all the way to November, which already kind of lost a ton of momentum. There's no reason why Inoue should be fighting twice a year if he's knocking dudes out in three, four minutes. And Ernesto Donaire is not like he's hurt or anything. He's been cruising for this tournament as well. Albeit under very different circumstances. But he's been cruising for this tournament nonetheless. There's no reason why they have to wait 5-6 months. Just to be able to have their championship fight. No reason why they've been able to do that. And that's been the problem with this season. Last season. The first season. Was the general lack of any American exposure in terms of fighters and in terms of putting the fights in the u.s and also getting a stable u.s broadcaster to host the fight they've been putting the in the first season for those who don't know the first season um they didn't really have an american broadcaster the zone wasn't you know a thing when the first season happened and now and they had to rely either on youtube or on these like weird channels that like i think it was only exclusive to direct tv if i remember correctly or Dish never i don't remember it was like a weird channel that was only exclusive to one um cable provider or satellite cable provider that would that like severely further and severely limited the the exposure of the world boxing super series in the United States, and also they they even had it on their some terminal fights on their website, which if you were in the U.S. and you're trying to watch those fights, you were not watching those fights because the quality was rat shit and the streams constantly went down it always crashed there was no almost no way of watching it it was just a mess all around and not to mention the times that they did post they did have tournament fights in the united states the marketing and the promotion for those sites were abysmal I know because I covered one of those fights in the U.S. I was at the New um, Newark, New Jersey event where the tournament fight was a cruiserweight quarterfinal matchup between Gassiev and Krzysztof Glowalski. Uh no, 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 it wasn't Glowaszy. Uh, it wasn't Glovatsky. It was Krzysztof Ladarczyk. I, I forgot which Polish fighter which Polish Cruiserweight was in that fight, but regardless, it, it took place in Newark, New Jersey, and it was at the Prudential Center, and they cut off half of the entire arena, just for that, for one half of the arena, for people to come and see the fight, so you already, you weren't having a full house, you weren't even having a half full house, you had, like, I think, what, maybe 70%, 70-80% of the people, and I think I'm being generous with that number, but that's what I remember, 70-80% of people from for one half of the arena were at that fight. So already, the, the attendance was terrible. It was terrible. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't hate the World Boxing Super Series as a concept I love it. I love tournaments. I, I'm a huge fan of tournaments and I love that they've been able to get a lot of divisions top fighters in to compete into these tournaments but there was but the execution could not be any worse. And, and kind of going back into the um, into the whole season one US marketing uh, snap it was you know I was there and, uh, throughout the whole build up of the Newark New Jersey card and there was also a card in San Antonio and our social media, Guy, Fightful Social Media Guru, Kyler James, who lives in San Antonio. I asked him,
2: has there been any promotion for that fight? And he was like
1: what no i didn't even know that the fight was even around i heard i've seen nothing about any promoting about this fight so already this is already a humongous mess and i'm just looking at myself as like how how are you not capitalizing on this and you know the the the, also it doesn't hurt it doesn't help the fact that the the tournaments that you had in the first season were very European heavy. It was like very European heavy with super middleweight and cruiserweight, which historically are not divisions that American boxing fans uh, are known for watching because the, because those divisions are not very plentiful in terms of having fighters compete in those weights in the United States. That's you know that's always been, that's always been a European uh, division. So, that was the problem with the first season. And this season is, you know, all the miscommunication, all the missed deadlines, all the whole bad, you know, financial management. All of that. And when you're looking at this, and you're looking at this season, and, and in the Warbox and Super Series, I think they're publicly saying, yeah, we're going to have a season three. Yeah, we'll, we'll have one. We'll have one. Don't worry about it. We'll have a season three. The problem here is, how are you going to convince any top fighter to actually go ahead and commit to this tournament? Because from the looks of it, not everyone organizing the tournament is on board or fully committed to hosting the or to spending 10, 12, 14, 16 months just solely on this tournament. As a proven fact, that's you know not everyone's on board with organizing this, and the commitment level is bad, it's horrible. It's you know it's it's been a complete mess, and now you're telling me that there's going to be a that you know if you're going if there's going to be season three. How are you how are you going to convince everyone, or or at least two three divisions worth of top fighters? That there's going to be no issues with this upcoming season. How are you going to convince them? Because from the get-go, Jose Ramirez, who is the WBC Junior Welterweight Champion, he, I'm pretty sure he had a ticket to go into the World Boxing Super Series. And he said, nah, fam, why, why would I want to do that? That makes no sense. Why would I want to commit to myself when I'm already making plenty of money fighting here on ESPN and my exposure is so much greater in the United States than I would fighting in the World Boxing Super Series on The Sun? Here's the issue. And, and, And I think that's the main problem with the World Boxing Super Series moving forward is finding enough top fighters to commit to this tournament because every day that co- every day that passes re- uh, Jose ramirez and his team look smarter and smarter for not having to deal with the mess uh, to not have with dealing with comosa ag and the sourland brothers and all that and all the issues that come with fighting the world boxing super series well you, i mean listen there's no reason why these tournament fights are taking place in the fall and winter There's no reason. They should have been done late summer, early fall at the latest. And it's a damn shame that we are now in this state of the World Boxing Super Series where the concept is great, it's a fantastic idea, the execution could not be done worse. And if if this is what we're going to have to see in the World Boxing Super Series, I think it's better to just abandon it when the season's done. Because you're not going to get enough fighters... You're not going to convince enough fighters that there's go- that the next season's going to go off scotch-free. There's not. Because there's always so many factors outside of a fighter's control that could jeopardize the World Boxing Super Series. At the start of the year, or late last year, it was the financials that almost derailed the entire tournament altogether. Then came the Ivan Baranchuk deal, and now comes this Regis Progress problem. You can't really tell me that the World Boxing Super Series has done significantly more good than bad this season. Because right now, Naoya Inoue and Nonito Donaire should be fighting. Should have fought already. There's no reason why they couldn't have had their fight done by this point or even within the next few weeks. Instead of having to wait all the way to November. There's no reason why they should, why people should have to wait this long. This is not. There's no reason why it should be like that. And I think the World Boxing Super Series is better off not having a third season if it means having to go through the same same problem over and over again, and fighters generally being unhappy. And by the way. The, I got to say, this whole Regis program thing, this is not a new thing. I remember I was talking, I spoke to Regis before the semifinals even occurred when he fought Kyra Relic. And he, was, and he was saying he was frustrated with the, with the way the World Boxing Super Series had been handling the fights in the last couple of months and all the financial issues. His team wanted out of the tournament. Ivor Broglie wasn't the only one. Prograce also wanted... Uh, teams outside uh, also wanted out of the tournament. It took Prograce having to convince his team to let him stay because of a promise of fighting for a world title, which was going to be against Kyra Relic. He did eventually win the world title, but... You know, the, it almost seemed like the headache is not worth everything that's you know everything that he's doing that he's accomplished throughout this tournament. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have entered this tournament to begin with because we're getting a fantastic finals with between Prograde and Taylor. I'm just saying, do you really expect um, big name fighters to sign on for season three? I don't. I don't expect maybe one or two. But aside from that, you're not going to get three, four world champions on board next season for any weight class. You're not. And if you're able to somehow do it, I'll be the first to say I was wrong and that hell has frozen over. So now we're moving on to the heavyweight division. And I got to admit, when the news of Tyson Fury facing Otto Vallen. Was put out to the public. I just kind of have to throw my hands up. And just laugh. Not at the opponent. Not at Otto Wallen. Because I like Otto Wallen. I think he's a very very good. Young heavyweight prospect. Slash fringe contender. But you know. this is This whole. Building up Tyson Fury. In the US. And you know. It just feels weird, and it's kind of hilarious to, to a certain point, because you're telling me that you're going to get Tyson Fury, the number one, you know, one of the top heavyweights in the world, arguably the best heavyweight in the world, and in my opinion, I think he is the best heavyweight in the world, because I thought he beat Deontay Wilder in the first fight, barely, but I thought he beat Deontay Wilder. But, you know, this whole... Plan to get Tyson Fury to be a major American star before the Deontay Wilder rematch next year, it's been weird. Like, it's, and it's almost funny to a point because you're telling me that the best way to put Tyson Fury in a position to really be this, like, pay per view star and become this huge, huge, you know, fighter that the fans are, and the United States are going to come in in droves to pay and watch their fight? You're telling me that putting him on ESPN Plus against Tom Schwartz and then his next fight goes against Otto Wallen on ESPN Plus also? You're telling me that those are the fights that are going to that, that's really going to make the ring beyond, against Yante Wilder that much bigger? It's it's funny because I don't think it will. And listen, I'm not criticizing top rank. I mean look, if I'm top rank, I wouldn't put Tyson Fury against a Delian White or or let's say or a Luis Ortiz. I know I know Luis Ortiz is probably gonna be fighting Deontay Wilder next, but I'm just saying, you know, instead of putting him up against a top five, top eight, top ten heavyweight, you're giving him These younger, unbeaten heavyweights who you can look at from on paper and think to yourself, well, they're unbeaten, they're younger, they hit hard, they're highly ranked, they're a good enough of an opponent, and that's just not the way American fans operate, that's not the way they operate, and you're telling and you're trying to tell these are credible threats to Tyson Fury if he wins goddamn look how great he is I mean let's be honest the first fight Tyson Fury had on ESPN plus against Tom Shorts come on we all know why it was made it was to make Tyson Fury look good in the same way that you bring like a jobber out on WWF te- television, and you put him in front of Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan squashes him in like three minutes, and you make him look uh, good. That's what the first fight was, and that's what the second fight was. And it's really funny how they 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 publicly, publicly kept saying how much better, you know, the opponent's going to be different for... That's very in the second go around with ESPN. It's gonna, you know, they they were they're targeting a a, a top ranked heavy American heavyweight, and you're and then you go Trevor Bryan, Charles Martin, Jarrell Miller, and then no, you go from beating an undefeated, highly ranked younger European heavyweight to wanting to get Charles Martin, Trevor Bryan, and Draw Miller, then getting none of those fights, to fighting another young, undefeated, highly ranked European heavyweight and Otto Fallen. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if, this, if I'm really going to take this fight more serious than the Tom Schwartz fight. Because I don't. And I'm not disparaging Otto Wallen himself. I like Otto Wallen. I've, I've said it on social media in the past. I'm pretty sure I may have said it once or twice uh, on the podcast. I like Otto Wallen. I think he's a solid young heavyweight prospect. And I'm really glad he's getting this type of fight against Tyson Fury. Because his, you know, the last 6-7 months have been a complete disaster for... For for Otto, and it's not his fault. It's not his fault, nor his promoter Dimitri Salida. It's not, because his American debut was took place in April, and he fought this guy Nick Kistner, and there was an accidental clash of heads, and lo and behold. There were, you know, after one round, Kissner said, no, Masia, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I got a big boo-boo on my, on my head, I can't fight. And so the fight was declared no contest, even though everyone who saw that fight knew it was complete BS that Nick Kissner would actually go out and say, say that he, he's not good to fight anymore. It's hilarious. And pretty and pretty BS that we had to deal with. That his American debut ended the way it did. Then he was supposed to fight BJ Flores a few weeks back, and on Showtime, mind you. And he, a lot of people were actually starting to get pretty excited. They wanted to see, get their first real taste of Arlovski. And then hours before the fight happened, hours before the broadcast on Showtime started. When, you know, the Washington Commission, or whatever they're called over there in the state of Washington, they said, yeah, BJ Flores is medically clear, He's not fighting tonight. And it just... It, and it was just a complete disaster, and I just And I was so mad because I wanted to see Otto Wallen actually fight. And he asked me I had, a, like, a proper fight this year. And now he's going all the way to Tyson Fury? I don't know. I don't know if I... If, if you know, if I'm fully on board, listen, Otto's gonna get a, gonna get paid real good for this fight, and I'm really happy for him. I just hope that Tyson Fury, uh, that you know Tyson Fury's, you know, doesn't take him out in two rounds like he did with Tom Shorts, because I think this I think this was gonna be a little more competitive than Tom Shorts' fight, and by a little more competitive, I mean this fight's not gonna be five minutes or less. At least I hope so. I think Fury's going to win. I just don't think he's going to demolish him in two rounds. I think Otto's just a a tad better than Tom Schwartz. And before we wrap this podcast up, I do want to throw it to an interview I did with WBA interim super bantamweight champion Brandon Figueroa. He's defending his title against... Javier Nicolas Chacon on August 24th on a PBC on FS1 card. It's you know he's a, a very talented young prospect. Actually, no, I shouldn't even call him a prospect anymore. I think he's a contender, which is incredible to say. I'm only 22 years old, but yeah, I think he is a contender at 122 pounds, and he's really becoming this you know this new star. And a loaded Super Bantamweight division that has Ray Vargas, Danny Roman, TJ Dageny, Emmanuel Navarrete, I, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Guillermo Rigando, Asad Hoffman, Mishan. I'm sure I'm missing a few other names, but that shows how deep this division is. And he's someone that, within a year or so, he could potentially make some noise at 122 pounds. And I'm so grateful... For Brandon to take a few minutes from his schedule to talk to me regarding his fight, his upbringing, growing up with, you know, with his father, who's also his trainer, and his brother for world champion, Omar Figueroa, the sparring sessions that they've had, and, you know, and just his goal for next year, potentially facing a guy like Danny Roman or any of these other top super bantamweights. So without further ado, here's my interview with WBA interim super bantamweight champion, Brandon Figueroa. Back here on the Fightful Boxing Podcast, I'm joined on the line by the undefeated WBA Interim Super Bantamweight Champion, Brandon Figueroa. Just days before he defends his title against Javier Nicolás Chacon in the main event of a PBC on FS1 card. And and also interestingly enough, he's also the fourth boxer i ever interviewed that's younger than me. So I'm already starting to feel old. Brandon, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing really good. You know, uh, thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it, and I'm grateful.
1: You know, this fight is... Essentially a homecoming for you. Given that the fight is taking place, like what 30 minutes from your hometown of uh West Laco, Texas. Uh, do you feel like you know this fight, you know, you're coming to it as the champion near your hometown, a TV main event, and do you feel like this is the kind of fight that you know where you really show that you know you're just you're an established star in the division, and not just someone who's you know the prospect label doesn't really fit for you at this moment, even though you're only what, 22 years old.
3: Oh, yeah, so, you know, this is a big, big opportunity for me. You know, um, all I am in is, is basically just, you know, blessing me and, and putting these opportunities in front of me that, you know, I have to take advantage, you know. Like you said, yeah, this is basically a home, homecoming fight. Uh, all my fans, supporters from the Valley have been waiting to see me. Not only that, but just to see me fight in San Antonio so they can drive for hours to go see me because I'm either fighting in New York or California, but not to get the chance for them to see me here basically in their backyard, which is my backyard. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for that and they're grateful for that. And I'm basically sold out of uh, the arena. So, um, you know, I know it's gonna be good at boxing, not only for that, but for me as well, I have to prove myself and I have to, you know, kind of show up a little bit for my fans and not only that, but it's nationally televised. So, you know, I have to, like you said, establish myself as, you know, uh, 122 contender or a world champion to be. So, i um, definitely excited for that. Um, I'm ready, and I can't wait for
1: August uh, 24th. You, know, you mentioned, you know, Al Heyman kind of say, you know, saying wanting to give you the opportunity to headline your own show. And, you know, you fought on TV before on the undercard of, you know, some really big fights. You know, your last fight, you were in California. I believe it was the Danny Garcia, Adrian Granados fight, if I'm not mistaken. And... Yes, there's that one. And... You know, the, you, you're impressed with, you know, with just a dominating win over Yonfres Parejo. You feel like that fight is, you know, that, the fight that really showed people, you know, you're ready for the next step. you know, after you try to make your case as the best 122-pound boxer in, in, in the world right now, really. Uh,
3: yeah, so, you know, it just goes to show how much all Human believes in me. Um, you know, basically getting me, uh, you know, a fight here in my hometown. Not only that, but, you know, Fox also came in to shoot like a little 24-7 with me. So he just shows the, the time and, and effort that on him and uh, put into me because that's how so much he believes in me that one day I'll become a world champion. But, um, yeah, you know, John Perez-Pareco, he wasn't in the culture where that guy came to fight and, you know, I basically just made him quit. Uh, that speaks a lot of volume and, you know, I like like I said, I just kind of fight and every fight I'm getting better, you know. Um I know for this uh, next opponent, I know he's a rugged veteran. So you know, I'm looking to to really capitalize that I belong in a 112-pound division.
1: You know, right now you're facing you know another rugged veteran, Javier Chacon, who's fought really a lot of big names throughout his career. But you know, knowing what you know about him and how he fights, you see this matchup as maybe the kind that sort of favors you, as you know, the more active, stronger fighter who loves competing. You know, having his fights be contested on the inside instead of you know at, you know competing in the in the center of the ring, so to see, so to speak. Oh
3: yes, yeah, sir. You know, um, I know he's. Uh, he, I, I know he's going to come fight. You know, he, he's the first time fighting he in the U.S. And not only that but he's fighting here in my hometown basically backyard um, but you know I, I don't underestimate him um, I definitely do see myself as a favorite though uh, you know because I come forward I, I throw a lot of punches not only that but I throw a lot of power punches I'm strong and I'm the younger fighter but um, you know I, I don't know I don't overlook my opponents you know I take them as a the, the big test I thought I was, you know work really hard and you know um, given uh, August, 24th, you know, I will show that. I will show that that you know I'm I'm the better, stronger fighter.
1: One thing that stand out stands out to me when looking at your fights, you know, aside from you know your five foot eight, five foot nine, which is tall for super bantamweight, but you're also an aggressive <laughs> fighter on the inside, which is. Not really what people expect when looking at a fighter that's tall for their division. So that fighting style, kind of, you know, being aggressive on the inside and throwing, you know, dozens and dozens of punches uninterrupted. Does that style, did that came from sort of a need of, you know, fighting, needing to fight more on the inside as, you know, and you fight shorter guys who think, you know, you're a taller guy. So I'm going to have more of a chance to fight on the inside. So where did that st- fighting style came from? You know, definitely for my dad,
3: it's the style that he implemented into me and my brother. Um, you because know, 'cause I've seen a lot of uh, top fighters. I've seen a lot of fighters that don't know how to fight on the inside, and I fight on the inside really well. Um, and I can also box, but obviously, you know, I need to use my advantages uh, to to. You know, I gotta use them in the the ring, and I gotta take advantage of them, basically, my skills and my assets that I come with, which is my uh, arm length and my, you know, my, my, the inches I have over my opponent, Uh, but I don't know, it's just something that, that I just get, get in the mix, and I'm just, I just wanna break you down, I wanna get in your face, and I just wanna, you know, keep working the body, and, and, you know, just keep finishing you beat, beat you at your own game, and, uh, uh, the pressure that comes with it, but, you know, definitely, little by little, every fight, I'm, I to be a little bit more patient, I'll box a little bit more, not get hit that much. Uh, you know, I have to stay healthy for the sport, not get cut because I know with the fighting on the inside, leads to to headbutt and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, you know, it just goes to show that I can fight on the inside and the outside, but most importantly on the inside because there's a lot of boxers that don't know how to
1: fight on the inside. You know, growing up, you've been surrounded by boxing. You know, from your dad and your brother Omar. You know, who you you know who were involved with the sport before you were even born. I take it. You know, was being a pro something that you you know thought you were always destined to be, given that you were surrounded by the sport. Was that something that you know, as you grew up, you decided you know, maybe this is what I really want. You know, as you know, with given that the family history around it.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, like you said, I was. Basically born into the sport, I felt like I was born to fight. Um, I tried every other sport, and I wasn't I wasn't good at anything until you know boxing was my thing. Boxing was the only sport where I can compete with my older brother. You know, have that uh, brother sister, uh, I mean brother brother the brother rivalry. You know, um, so definitely that boxing is the only sport where you know I was able to compete with him because anything my my brother older brother touched with his baseball. Boxing, um, swimming, he broke records and, and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, competing with him in boxing was something much bigger than that because it's something that my dad taught us. And, you know, we obviously as kids, we have to make our our, our parents proud. So, yeah, I honestly do feel like I was born to fight. Um, I was made for this, so I had to be by myself uh, so much.
1: You know, this division at Super you know, Super Band away, I think it's loaded at the top, you know, with yourself, Danny Roman, Emmanuel Navarrete, Guillermo Rigondo, Ray Vargas. The list goes on and on. How long do you think it will be before you get to fight those top names and really start to make your claim as the best 122-pounder in the world? you see maybe after this next fight against Javier Chacon to be, you know, where you're going to target those fights, or is that something that, you know, that's sort of touch and go as, you know, as this division sort of continues to shape itself?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, this division keeps, uh, you know, becoming stronger and stronger, and, and I'm happy about that. I'm happy that, you know, there's a lot of, great world champions in my division that, that'll that make me work harder and, um, you know, hopefully one day I get to fight him and, and obviously win as you know, uh, but for right now, you know, i take taking every fight at a time I and mean, hopefully by next year uh, I get to have a title fight uh, I'll be more than happy to take that but as of right now, you know, I gotta take every fight at a time and, you know, just wait for all uh, him and my team position but, because uh, I know how, you know, boxing boxing uh, Go to politics and stuff like that. That some fight might not happen because of this for this reason or this reason, or they wanna uh, unify. So you know, it's, it's a bunch of all that. But you know, when the opportunity comes to to fight for world title, I would definitely take it.
1: You know, speaking of Danny Roman, who holds the full WBA title, while well, you hold the interim title, I mean, he's defending his WBA and IBF titles against Muro John Agmadaliyev at MSG next month. Um, how do you see that fight playing out? And do you personally have a favorite as to who comes out on top? Uh, no, I, I don't really pay
3: attention to to. I mean, I know I know who Daniel, Daniel Roman is. I know uh, how he fights, and, and and you know what he brings to, to the table, but um. You know, I haven't really paid attention to that fight because I guess my fight that's coming up, I haven't really put much notice on, on the stuff going on outside of, of my training camp. But, um, yeah, you know, I just, I I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, if he pulls out the win, he puts out the win. He has a good boxing style, um, but I feel like I have what it takes to, to beat him and, 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 you know, just uh, overwhelm him with, with my work and, and my passion.
1: You know you're you're on this incredible knockout slash stoppage streak. You know, stopping Oscar Escandón, Moises Flores, John Franz Parejo. Do you do we see you know knockout slash stoppage number seven in a row against Javier Nicolas Chacon? Ah uh, yes, sir,
3: you will.
1: Nice. Do you have a, a you know of round specifically, or do you feel like you know it's just gonna be how how the fight plays out? And, and but regardless, you you feel like you're gonna come out on top inside the distance.
3: Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, but you know what I would do is break down my opponent. Either I say by the eighth round or by the sixth round is when you know my opponents are a little bit more weaker because of due to the body punches. Uh, but I you don't know, no, he 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 might he might come to fight and he might
1: go out the 12 rounds, but definitely, uh, I'm going to come out with the win. Brandon, best of luck on August 24th when you take on Javier Nicolas Chacon in the main event of a PBC on FS1 card. Again, thank you so much. Best of luck in your career moving forward and hope you get those big fights against the top 122 pounders ne- hopefully next year. Oh Yes,
3: sir. Thank you. Thank you for that opportunity and uh, appreciate it.
1: Lots of good stuff from that interview with Brandon Figueroa. Brandon's a very, very nice guy. Very, uh, you know, very polite, respectful young man. Um, I do find it a little, little off-putting that Brandon kept calling me sir when I'm only two years older than him. And I'm like, oh my God, I am. It's like, really, I'm really showing my age. Like, am I really becoming an old man at the ripe age of 24? God damn! But but that was my interview with Brandon Figueroa again defending his WBA interim super bantamweight title against Javier Nicolas Chacon in the main event of a PBC on FS1 card on August twenty fourth. And with that, the this episode of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Is done. Thanks so much for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. Leave us a thumbs up. Subscribe to our FIFO MMA unboxing YouTube channel. Head on over to our FIFO Pro Wrestling YouTube channel for. Uh, For tons of content on pro wrestling from WWE, AEW, New Japan, Ring of Honor, Impact, all, you know, and everything in between, leave us a, a review on iTunes, really do appreciate it, hopefully, you know, get the visibility of this podcast and all the other great podcasts on the Fightful Network you know you know get that expo- get get the get the shows out to to the people people want MMA and pro wrestling and boxing we got it all we got it all here on fightful so from my new base of operations in Cleveland Ohio carlos toro fightful.com and fightfulmma.com signing out